this morning we get to look at God's Word. It's there in your worship guides on page 9, uh, or if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible that is your own, uh, you can go uh, either in person to someone here, uh, to Paul after the service, or to Adam, uh, or also you can go to zioncolumbia.org and there send an email in to the office and request one. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your hands. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 22, reads this way. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you uh, that even as we've just read, your word is true and it abides forever. Would you speak your abiding truth to our hearts now by the power of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit? And would you be exalted in our lives now and forever? Amen. So it is hay bale season here in Murray County. If your allergies didn't inform you, uh, the dotted countryside is just full of them. Uh, what a couple weeks ago uh, were these lush green fields. Uh, suddenly one day it was all cut and the clippings were just lying there and the color started to fade. And then they were gathered up and they were bailed. And now just a couple weeks have gone by and the lush green is this yellowish brown hay color. And uh, it's 200 yards that way and it's a few hundred yards that way and it's everywhere. And, and we see this, that the grass withers that uh, this thing that was once vibrant and alive fades away. And in the scriptures, we come across this imagery multiple times of, of the grass and of all flesh being light grass. And the, the message to us is that we're mortal, we're finite. And, and actually that everything that is in creation has a point where it hits a peak and, and then it declines that corruption of one form or another sets into our world, sets into our lives. And, and we, we see that all around us. We see that uh, maybe in some of the aches and pains that, that we feel. Uh, we see that as we look back on history and see that governments and kingdoms, empires, they've all peaked and they've gone down. We see what has been in style at one point is now looked at as withered. Uh, we, we think of modes of thinking and a philosophy through the years that comes and then it goes. Uh, or, or we think of the sporting world and the slogan uh, that Father Time is undefeated. And uh, be you Serena Williams or Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali or Jack Nicholas or any of the all-time greats, you can't stand up against time. That at some point or another, that weakness comes in. 
and, and, and the things that once were there to hold you up aren't there. And, and yet our hearts, we find that we're longing for things that last. We, we want something that won't fade away. We want something that we can cling to. We want something that will be strong enough in the end. And Peter, in this passage, tells us, yes, all flesh is like grass. But there are things that last. There are things that are imperishable. There are things that don't fade away. And the first thing he tells us about is an imperishable life. He tells us there's an imperishable life. Uh, we see this uh, explicitly in the language in verse 23. Uh, what is it that he tells us? He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You've been born again with this imperishable seed. You are now in a new life. Uh, in our theological language, we say you've been regenerated. You've been born again. You've been made new. You've been made whole. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you know him, if you have submitted your life to him, you are in this relationship with him and you're new. And with him, you will have life eternal. And we have been made new in him. And nothing in all creation can take that away from us. But not just that, it starts off saying that we've been purified. That having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, you're purified. Now, it's really easy for us to look at that and go, purified, well, I've Having purified my soul means I've gone back and just a few verses before it was telling me about holiness and, and there's this idea that yes, so that means I've gone and I've purified myself and I'm good. Uh, that's not actually Peter's message. In fact, it's not the Bible's message. You can't purify yourself. You can try as hard as you want. You cannot wash away your sin. You can try all that you like, but you cannot take those stains out. What is it? You've been purified by what? Your obedience to the truth. That is submitting yourself to the truth of the gospel. By looking at the promises of Jesus, looking at him and his work on the cross on our behalf, how he lived, how he died, how he was buried, how he rose again. And that he has given his righteousness to us, purifying us as he has taken away all of our sin and it was nailed to the cross with him. And there in our justification is where this purification comes in. And, and if we want evidence from the text itself, what is the command that is given to us? It says, love one another. And there's this tragic mistake that we've fallen into in Christianity. And it's this thought that I can actually be holy and pure without really loving other people. It makes no sense to say, purify yourselves, and then the primary means by which we would purify ourselves would be loving other people. So since you have purified yourselves, love other people. So what is this purification? It is seeing the beauty of Jesus in the gospel. And because of that, we've been made clean, we've been made pure, and God sees us as righteous in his sight. And we have this amazing truth that he has accepted us as his sons, as his daughters, not because we are righteous in and of ourselves, but because Jesus is the righteous one. 
and he has given that to us. And so he's saying, you've had this. You have been given new life, and you've been made pure. You've been made new in a way now that will last. This isn't temporary. This isn't passing. This isn't like the grass. This isn't like the hay that was cut one day and is bailed up the next and is going to just turn brown. You've been given something that will last. You've been given something impressive. Heidelberg Catechism, uh, and it's question number one, and the answer talks about it this way. It says, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Longing for something that lasts, being found in Jesus will last. Is that where you are? Can you say, I've been born again? I've been made new in Jesus. I've been cleansed. I've been purified. His blood has washed over me, and I belong to him. If you have, rejoice in hearing where it comes from. If you haven't, listen right now to where it comes from. Because what lasts is not just our lives, but there's an imperishable truth. It's the gospel itself. What does our passage tell us? It says, you've been brought through, you've been made imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then the phrase that wasn't in our bulletins, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. This abiding word of God is the gospel itself. Uh, some, some of us, we may have heard this at points in time where we hear grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God remains forever. And it sounded like there's just this monolithic, impassive, unfeeling word of God that is just going to proceed through all history and steamroll everything in its path. And although it's true, that God's word is true and it's going to continue, there's this personal nature here. It's this message, this word that abides is the gospel. This word that abides is that God saw us in our sin and in our misery and he set his heart on us and he ordained that his son would come and that he would live and that he would die in our place. He ordained that he would be raised again from the dead and be ascended on high and he has ordained that there is a day when he is coming again and he will judge the living and the dead and he will be glorified in that day. And all those who are his will be with him. And this is a word that will abide forever. And as we look back at the Old Testament, we, we actually see there's this cosmic 
war, this cosmic tug of war, this cosmic tension that is going on, that Adam and Eve rebel against God. And God comes in and he promises that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And then one chapter later, what happens? The seed of the woman kills the seed of the woman. Cain kills Abel. And there is this battle being pushed forth against God and his promise, saying, your word won't abide, God. It's going to be thwarted. And yet it's not. It continues forward. And God comes and he makes these promises to Abram. He says, Abram, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I am going to give you a descendancy. And they will be numbered greater than the stars. I'm going to give you this land and all these things. And then what happens? Everything under creation rises up in opposition to this. They can't have a baby. There are enemies. There are oppressors. There is a false start with Hagar and baby Ishmael. And it looks like, can this really happen? Is God's promise really going to go forward? And it does. In spite of all the odds, it goes forward. And, and we get to 2 Samuel 7, and God promises to David, one of your descendants will reign forever and ever. And just a few chapters later, one of his sons is trying to kill all the other sons. And there's this cosmic battle going on saying, God, you make a declaration, and so everything rises up against it. This can't go forward. This won't happen. But what happens? God's will moves forward anyway. God is faithful to his promises. Even when we get up into 2 Kings and the king Ahaziah dies and his mom comes in and says, I want to be queen and she kills off all the descendants. Every single one of the line of David she cuts off. Except someone swoops in and saves a baby and hides baby Joash for six years. And then reveals him and says, see, it's here. Here is the real king and God's promise is true. And right when it looked like God's story was going to be snuffed out, that it was going to be proven untrue. God says, no, my word abides forever. And we can see it through the exile. We can see it through the judges. We don't have enough time. But just all these times where it looks like God's word is going to be proven false. And God says, no, it's true. And we get to the New Testament and Jesus is baptized and we hear this heavenly voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what happens immediately after? Satan strikes. He wants to tempt him. He wants to lead him away. But Jesus goes forward. See, time and time again throughout the scriptures, there's this thing that says it's impossible for God really to fulfill his promises. It's not going to happen. And God proves himself true again and again and again. So this isn't some cold, this isn't some impersonal message. This is God saying, I am at work. And my gospel is true and my gospel will be true. Some of you right now are probably at a point in your life where you can't see how on earth God's promises are going to come true. You can't see how God's working things together for good. You maybe can't see how God is keeping covenant promises. 
you maybe can't see, but there is goodness that is going to come out of your misery. But he has shown himself mighty. He's shown himself faithful. Can you believe that he's enough for you where you are right now? Can you believe that the grass may wither, the flower may fade, but God is going to show himself true, true to you. He will prove himself good. He will prove himself to be loving. And it's this message that he's been giving throughout 1 Peter. So he's writing to these elect exiles. And and he's saying, this is God's goodness towards you. That God has chosen you. That in verse 2 of chapter 1, God sprinkled you with Jesus' blood. In verse 3, that his mercy has has caused to be born again to a living hope. That he's caused us to have an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. In verse 4, that we're guarded by faith until the appointed time. In verse 5, verse 7, that we've been given a faith that is more precious than gold. Verse 18, we've been ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus. Verse 21, we've been given faith and hope in God. And now we hear that we've been purified and we've been born again of imperishable seed. This is God's message of the gospel that he is shedding, that he has shed his son's blood for our blessing. That Jesus suffered death so that we might have life and that we might see that all of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And that's good news. That's the news that I need. I think that's the news that we need. That in uncertainty, in fear, in darkness, in conflict, in wrestling on our knees and crying out and not even knowing if anyone is there to listen. We have this sure foundation and we have this sure knowledge that there is someone there and that he has set his designs on us and on our good. Not necessarily in the way that we would write it up or the way that we would define it, but in the way that in eternity we will be able to look at our Father's work and say, this was indeed good. And we praise him for it and we glorify him for it. So we have this imperishable life that is brought to us through this imperishable truth. But there is this enduring or this imperishable impact that it should make. There is an enduring lifestyle that is supposed to result from this kind of thing happening in our lives. Verse 22. Love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Love one another. It's not uh, an uncommon message. It's not an unpopular message, whether it's in Christian circles or in the culture at large. Uh, Love is this great thing. And yet here, Peter's saying, we got to go deeper. We got to go deeper. 
uh, if we back up uh, just one verse before our passage, verse 21, <clears throat> talks about those who are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, Jesus from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Faith and hope. And then one verse later, love. The, the, this is a, a, a triplet that comes together to us throughout the New Testament, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul grabs a hold of this. And he says, all these other things may fade away, but these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This is to be our enduring lifestyle. For those who have been made new, those who have been purified, those who have seen the gospel and see that God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus, the only option is to start loving people, to love one another. And Peter's going to get into more specificity as he moves through the letter. In fact, the very first verses of our next passage, he's going to get into some specific ways to love one another. But at this point, he's leaving it a little bit open, a little bit general. And, and, and yet there are two things that we can say with certainty that are in his mind as he is talking about how are we to love one another. First is who did he send it to? He's writing to elect exiles. He's saying, you elect exiles, love one another. You who are people who have been called to Jesus, Jew and Gentile, spread amongst different cultures. Love one another. Understand one another. Listen to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Put up with each other's differences. In Ephesians 4, it says, you know, be kind one to another. And, and what, what is it? What is it telling us every time that there is a command like that? It's behind it is that we're not very good at it. We're not very good at the being kind to one another. We're not very good at loving one another. And, and so it has to be emphasized. You, you don't make rules for things that people do naturally anyway. And Peter's saying, you who are amongst all these people not like you, love one another. And figure out how to do that. And, and in our own culture, in the last few months, we've had two major things happen that have brought this to the forefront. One is, uh, if, if we were to reduce it to just a few words, it would be to mask or not to mask. And is, is coronavirus this huge thing that is going to end the world as we know it, or is it nothing at all? Or is it somewhere in between? And yet, we don't love people well who think differently from us. And, and, and we're seeing it throughout the U.S., throughout the world. There's this failure to love. And, and, and a lot of times amongst Christians, doubting someone's faith or doubting someone's love if they choose one option or the other. And God's saying, love one another. Can we bear with one another as we're going through these differences of understanding of a pandemic? But that's not the only big thing that's happened. Um, just a month ago, George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis. And from that event, 
there was a new wave that went throughout our nation about the divide between white and black, the divide between the, those in power and those who are not in power, the, the divide between what is seen on one side as oppression and a lot of times on the other side, confusion. What does it mean? Love one another in our differences here. I think for us, it means we need to do a lot of listening, a lot of learning, a lot of seeking to understand. And, and there are so many voices out there, they don't all agree with one another, so they're not all right. But can we listen and can we love and can we show kindness and compassion to people who are seeing complex and painful issues differently from us? So number one, these major cultural things that are happening, we've got to find ways to love each other. Ways to die to self in the middle of that. Number two, he's talking about the proclamation of the gospel. That verse 25 ends with, this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is what was gospeled to you. These verses coming from Isaiah 40 where God says, comfort, comfort my people, and I'm announcing to them salvation, and he's saying that my word stands. This is the good news of what I am doing. So are we participating in that announcement? Do we find enough joy in Jesus that we want others to have joy in Jesus? And are we spreading good tidings of his love abroad? County's full of hay bells. They're everywhere we look. I want us to see them and remember that we're not that different from the hay bales. That ordinary life fades. But I also want us to remember that the God of the gospel has set his love on us in Jesus Christ. And we're not going to fade like those hay bales. But while we're waiting to see his final redemption and restoration, we're called to love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you're kind. We thank you that you are merciful to us, though we do not deserve it. We have fallen short in so many ways. We have failed to believe your promises. We have failed to love one another. We have failed to love you. And yet we see that Jesus is the answer to our promises. We see that there is life in him. We see that there is enduring reality in him. And we cry out to you, give us more of our Lord Jesus. Give us his grace. Give us his presence by his spirit. Give us what we need day to day, hour by hour, minute by minute. Hold us fast. Father, as we look at the needs of our world right now, we ask that you would have mercy. 
this coronavirus wages on as many are suffering and many are dying and many don't have the luxuries that we have of access to medical care, would you have mercy? Would you allow your word to go forth? Would you send your workers to take that word forth? That the glories of Jesus would be announced to every man, woman, and child under the sun. Would you pour out your spirit that when they hear those good news, they would rejoice, they would receive them as truth, they would exult in the truth of, of forgiveness in Jesus, and they would be added to the number of your church. Would you pour that blessing out on our world? Would you bless our nation? We are seemingly at a loss of how to go forward in race relations. Would you show us the way? Would you give us all the ability to understand what it is like to be the other? Would you give us understanding of what it is like to walk in someone else's shoes? Would you give us compassion and would you give us conviction that we would say, not our will, but your will be done? And let us love one another. Father, for the members of our church, we ask your blessing. We thank you that you have been adding to our number with little ones over these last weeks and months. Would you bless these children? Would you bless baby Kip, even as we saw him receive your sign and seal this morning? Would you be glorified in him and in all the children of this congregation? Would you show your promises once again to be true? Would you help each of us as we need to examine and plumb the depths of your word, this gospel message, this word that brings life? Would you draw us to yourself and draw us to our knees that we would seek to know and love you more? Call us to yourself, we ask, and we pray together as your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.